Welcome to Life List, a birding podcast. Hey, Alvaro, how are you doing? Hello. You know, um, I always make fun of you because, you know, you're often controlling the background program here and like there's a little countdown thing or something. And uh-huh. I don't see it. I actually saw the little countdown thing. This You time. saw the three, two, one? Yeah, three, two, one in yellow. And uh, that's never happened before. I don't know if the huh. software's like gotten better or uh, something, but I was It's not that like, you just paid attention for the first time ever? No, so, no, I don't yeah. think so. Because I'm often, <laughs> you know, paying attention, you know, quite, I mean, I'm trying to avoid looking at your massage yeah, yeah. there. It's a lot you know, to absorb. Yeah. You know, it's a lot going on. Yeah. And, um, so that that that's interesting. Those are the kinds of things that I find exciting. This is how dull my well, life has become. You know, so. Hey, I don't know if you noticed, Al, but between recordings, we recorded earlier today. Now yeah. we're recording again. I got yeah, my you haircut. have no hat on. I got my hair cut. Oh, so now you're like, now you're like showing off the hair because you, yeah, you, you got your hair cut. Yeah, I feel well, I'm feeling I'm feeling very clean. Very, I'm like I, I. It was like I love a haircut because I feel like so neat and tidy afterwards. It's yeah. like I, I literally feel like I'm not right. carrying as much weight. You, you, you feel neat and tidy, but uh, yes, the reality is quite very different. Different. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I actually cut my hair today too, but you wouldn't know that because my hair is about a quarter say, inch long. <laughs> so say, it looks pretty much the same. All same the time. all the time. Yeah. 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 I know. But no, I've been. I, I was woofing. I was like, Kristen usually cuts my hair, and she, we, we were going to cut it right before I went to India. But she was like kind of under the weather and just didn't work out. Mm-hmm. So she cut it today, and I was like, oh, man, I feel so much better. So much better. Do you feel you have less power when you cut your hair? You know, No, no, like I don't Samson? have any of that Samson, <laughs> Samson stuff, no. Samsonite, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I could use some Samsonite, yeah. Um. But can I tell you, I'm still upset about this Eurasian goshawk that I saw in India. Oh, I'm, I'm yeah. So upset. You, you still, were still about no that love. earlier. Yeah, I just went and checked again. Nothing, nothing doing. The guys, you know, whoever the reviewer is. No I don't love. even know how to check for that. Like that's how. Yeah. Clued well, I just I checked am. the map, and there's like no pin. You know. Yeah. Like I don't know. I, I, I'm starting to take it a little personally, but you know, whatever. Living well yeah. is the best revenge, yeah. you know. Right, urban goshawks. <laughs> uh, I don't want to get into that whole deal. So you know, I, I, my sleep is all messed up from getting back from India. Right, and um, it's like ten and a half hours ahead over there compared to here, and. I keep waking up at like three in the morning and going to bed at like seven or eight at night or something, you know, like I'm all, I'm all jacked up. My sleep's all jacked. And the, but like the other night I'm trying to fall asleep and I'm so tired that I like kind of stayed asleep, but I, I'm hearing singing. And I realized that Kristen who had recently bought, a karaoke machine here at the house for our stepdaughter for her birthday was singing karaoke. <laughs> and 
Yeah, and and uh, she was kept doing that song, Major Tom, not not the one by uh, uh, David Bowie, the other one. Um, That's another one. Yeah, um, I'm trying to remember the other song. Peter Schilling, is that it? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it's like I want to say it was like six times in a row. She was really trying to get it just right. And um man, it was a lot it was a lot to take in. It's pretty impressive. Yeah. But that's what I was hearing. Now so I got that song all day in my head now. It's just like it's going yeah. it's, it's like pinned to the brain. Yeah, that's that's what happens. Mm-hmm. But you know, it's funny, I don't get um I sleep like the longer the flight is, the more I sleep on the flight and I tend to get home and I'm pretty much always tired at about sleep time. And I might wake up one night, middle of the night and then fall asleep again. And then I'm back on track. Like wow. my body just reacts. Okay. To, you know, time change to travel like that time. Yeah. Time travel. Yeah. That so, is, that's not the case for me. Yeah. Takes me usually half a week to a week to kind of like fully reintegrate. I and I I fall asleep like anywhere all the time, any spot, no problem. You know, I'm one of those sleep anywhere kind of people. That's and that's a skill. Cat's made the argument that I can do that because I have nothing going on in my head. You know, <laughs> like absolutely nothing. It's like empty, like there's no thought. There's Super nothing zen. that can race around my head and keep me awake because there's nothing going on. And are I'm you like, you like, know, are you, is it like meditation? Are you like, are you like alming? Are you like, like, you know, like finding an inner peace or you, you just. No, no. You, yeah. I just fall asleep. And, and the, and then I, you know, I get insulted by this concept that there's nothing going on in my head, but then I <laughs> assess and surely like truly there is nothing going on in my head. I just like fall asleep. Like there's nothing. Like I just, okay, shut down, you know, like <laughs> no thoughts, no nothing. It's like, you know, it's, it's weird. I used, I used to have things that would keep me up like wait, wait back, actually back in the field guides days, you know, sort of, I used to worry more. Maybe I just don't worry anymore. You've, you've <laughs> evolved. I've evolved or maybe, maybe it's, um, you know, you, you can, as a tour leader, I don't know, you know, it'd be an interesting thing to like ask other tour leaders about this. When you are working for yourself, you feel like you have pretty much control over things. (laughs) When you're working for others, you feel like you don't have control of what's going on. So mm. to some extent, I don't know. I don't know. I feel like like the control part is true, but I don't feel like that helps me sleep any better. In fact, oh. maybe maybe the opposite. <laughs> right. But I'm not sure. You heard about like people, like there are cases that, I mean, it just sort of, a, I saw a news story about somebody who was just, deathly afraid of flying you know like just could not fly and it was like a really bad thing so they actually learned how to fly a plane oh wow 
yeah, they they actually got got in a plane, went you know, and and got took the courses, learn how it all works, and they can fly perfectly well because now they understand about the control the dynamics it, behind the it the all. Dynamic. It's like it's, it's yeah, totally, totally reminds me of B. A. Baracus from the A Team, Mister T. It's like, yeah. remember they always had to like slip him a Mickey in order to like you know get him to fly. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? I may ever, have man. never seen uh, an episode of the 18. Oh, Alvaro. I just saw the, the guys. Horror. The horror. The yeah. horror. There was a time, uh, there was a period of time where, where we had no TV. Like we were just, you know, crunchy gr- granola, kind of no TV people. Yeah. I think I've told yeah. you before, one of my favorite moments in television history was an episode of the A-Team that where... Isaac Hayes and Rick James were the were guesting on the A team uh-huh. with George Papard and Dirk Benedict and Dwight Schultz. That's that's a lot of talent right there. It was, it was pretty impressive, I guess. I I only know two out of those five names. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, one of the best theme songs of all time. All time. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. I know you're. Yeah, but right after that. Greatest American Hero. You love that one. Oh, that's a good that, one. Yeah, that was, that was that real good. Very um, good. Speaking of theme songs, um, we don't have a theme song, do we? Well, we kind of do. We get like the little part at the beginning. You know, it's yeah. very short. It's very short. I know. Yeah. I wonder if are you, are you anybody of composing in the, one. You, no, but well, yes. <laughs> I mean, um, but uh, I wonder if anybody just hears that tune and just goes like. Life list, you know, like as it like made this connection, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> like that, that that kind of thing. Um, it'd be interesting. The um, do you do you want to do a little recap of what you've been up to, or do you want to dive right into our topic? What do you you know? Because I, you know, we I got well, to tell everybody that we had kind of a, a weird start because Molly yes. was here, right? So it was all three of us, but Molly was in Colombia. And there'd been this thunderstorm, power was out, just come back on, internet was out. She was trying to get in touch with us through the phone. She kind of connected. It looked all okay, but then it wasn't working. So we had to go, just me and George, and it, it felt a little weird because we were yeah. all here. And, yeah, uh, we, we had the round table. We were all, we were all ready right. to rock. Now and then suddenly we're like, is, yeah. exactly. And we had yeah. the topics all set up and we, you know, kind of things that would really work well for three of us to like riff on. Um, and, and now we're, we're, we're like, maybe we should re reset this a little bit so that come, some of those things we can talk about. No, no, no. I think, group, oh, but yeah. maybe, maybe not. Well, I, you know? Yeah. We're, I think I've, I've got ideas. Molly and I, we're going to get together next week yeah. and talk about some stuff and, and we'll get an update on what she's been up to. Cause she, I, I, when you said we had a weird start, I thought you meant to this year, which is true. Cause we had like recorded oh. a couple episodes and then we've been like, all of us have been away. So it's been, right. it's been sort of a, you know, a, it feels like a little bit of a false start, but now we're, yeah. I feel like we're hitting our groove. We got a bunch of stuff coming. You got a solo episode coming. I got a solo episode coming. I got an That's episode right. where I'm doing some stuff kind of fresh from the field, you know, um, that I'm going to try out and see what people think. So I'll be interested for feedback. The other thing I wanted to mention before we got too deep out is I wanted to remind folks of our Lifeless newsletter. You should check it out. Go to either lifelistpodcast.com and scroll down to where you'll see a sample newsletter and you can subscribe 
cool articles, news that we think is interesting. You'll find fun and some other stuff as well. Um, and you can find it also on the Hillster Nature website under the media tab. There's a place there for you media. to subscribe. So people should definitely check that out. Yeah. Um, anyway, we're, we got a bunch of new kind of takes on things we're doing. And um, we're looking forward to feedback as we move along. Yeah. And and I think also one of the things that ha- is happening right now with this this podcast, I got to say, it's like we – I'm leaving – Molly's coming back to the country. There's kind of this whole like, yet there's these juicy topics that yes. we would love to talk about. Yeah. Flacco. Flacco. You know, Oof. That reaching 10,000 birds and all that, the, the hot gracious. tea that happened mm. in that uh, I should say. shenanigans. Heavens. And I'm wondering, if, you know, I, I just want to let people know we're well aware of these things that are going on. Oh yes, and I do wonder if uh, you want to talk anything about those right now, or we leave it for when all three of us are. Or do you want to just give a little, uh, little, little inkling of thoughts? <laughs> What's Flacco? I want to know. I want to know what is on the mind of Alvaro Jaramillo. What's what is leapt to the top of your mind over low these past few days of the of those that you mentioned? Let's let's address that first and foremost. Um, I was thinking about oh, well, Flacco. Mm. The, one thing is inevitable what was going to happen. Flacco had to, he passed away. He had to pass away at some point. But it, you know, um, and I guess he hit a window, hit a, hit a, hit a building or something like that. And then he was found on, and I guess they might be doing some level of, of, post-mortem analysis. But the other thing that's happened is the camps, the, the free Flacco versus the, you know, this is crazy talk people have maintained in their camps and each one of them has used this event to sort of show that their point of view was the right one. You know, it's like you, it's either like he lived a great one year, you know, as, <laughs> as a wild bird, or it was like, this is a disaster. Poor guy should have never been out there and he hit a window. And, and right. I'm just for those, for those that like, may have forgotten, right? They, somebody broke the cage, broke his, messed up his cage so that he was able to escape. And then basically they ended up deciding that recapturing him was going to be more stressful or potentially harmful than just letting him, you know, live out his life and, you know, seeking rats and uh, squirrels on the streets of New York. And I guess what I find odd is that, I mean, maybe it's not so surprising, but like all of a sudden he hit a window. It's like, it's been a whole year, you know, it it all unfolded Mm -hmm. his, his, his quote unquote escape all unfolded while Molly and I were doing the life list podcast tour in Columbia exactly a year ago. He's Mm -hmm. been, Successfully navigating the streets this whole time. All of a sudden, a window pops up. I don't know. Weird. Hmm. Yeah. Now, the other thing that... um, The other topic that we got to get into more details of this because there's a lot of elements, but the basic situations, Peter Kastner, guy who's been around forever, was on our Antarctica trip 
um, one of the rock jumper guides now, you know, previously um, did a lot of birding in his work life as, as a diplomat, you know, working all different parts of the world, full lifetime of looking for birds, wanting to achieve the, uh, you know, the, 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 the classic number that we all sort of say, you know, is, is, is anybody ever going to get their 10,000 birds? Yeah. 10,000. So, 10,000 birds. So he's been building up the whole thing for years. Yeah. And it's, and we've been watching it. it. It's all been unfolding in front of us this, right. you know, low, low these many years. Yeah. And then the, basically the day that the day before he's going to announce or, you know, that he had, he actually had to shift all of his uh, tours and stuff because he saw this guy, um, Jason, um, oh man, I've forgotten his last name. Jason. Um, yeah, I don't, anyway, I'm this dude to, comes dude. in, we'll call him dude, yeah. dude, dude just comes in out of nowhere and says, I did it. 10,000 birds. Boom. The day before. And, <laughs> and then people were like, is this a joke? Like, yeah, this, I thought it was you know, a joke at like, first. A joke. I, to- yeah, I totally thought it was like a trolling joke at first. I was like, right. no one's like ever heard of this person. Joke. Yeah. 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 It, seemed, it was to say the least, it was odd. It was odd. And then everybody out in the sort of the the Facebook Twitter lands and stuff were like, who is this guy? And where's his list? He's not on eBird. But then I guess they, they get the fact that he he's um on uh, Igo Terra and he's seen his 10,000 birds includes multiple species that nobody's seen for decades, you know, right. including birds that as far as I know, no human being has ever seen or, or at least have any proof of seeing. Right. That it, And I mean, still do not for the record. Still do <laughs> as not. Far, as far as anyone knows. So, yeah. so it was not a list that you could sort of say was transparent. Super clean and neat and tidy. Clean. Like, yeah. Right. And as, and as moment that all this stuff started kind of coming out, he sort of the the day after he goes, you know what, uh, Peter, you got it. You got the record. Um, you, you, you did it. Yeah. My bad, my bad. And he kind of like walked, walked it back. But (laughs) the insanity of it all, it's like, you know, benefit of the doubt. Let's say he saw a ton of birds is this guy. Um, why, how, for what purpose would you ever think uh, in 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 a community that values the fact that birding is all about you know honesty and transparency and getting photos of the rarities and going through this process where you sort of build up credibility so peter has built up this credibility over the years yeah that you know th- th- that is just there it's it's sitting there because yeah. you can see years of history and and why would so anybody many come into tied that? to that history there's so yeah. many people tied to that Guides, history. yes it, and lodges, that's really i think you know. that's the thing that was um surprising um and and sort of jarring about the claim of this other person was that you like there's no way to reach the number of like of 10,000. Like I, I had a friend 
asking me about this whole situation saying like, mm-hmm. well, you know, I, we know some other people that have seen a lot of birds and, um, you know, some of these, some people could just kind of come out of the woodworks you wouldn't know. And I'm like, that's not really true. No, you know, like yeah. it's one thing to say you've seen five, 6,000 birds. Once you're starting to get to the seven, 8,000, 9,000, much less 10,000, like there's, there are some birds that you can only see with the help of certain guides. And there mm-hmm. are some places that in order to see certain birds, you would have had to have met certain people. Uh, or th- at the very least, if you didn't meet them, they would have to have known that you had visited these sites because either they're private mm-hmm. or they're, you know, th- there's only so many, so, there's a, there's a, there are dozens of species for which there are only a very, very, very limited number of ways, if not one way to see them. Right. And so to do, to get all those birds for which there's only one or two ways to see them, you have to meet and work with a lot of people. And Peter has done a great job of documenting that over time. He, you know, he has, he talks on in, in, along in his journey, he shows the people that he have, have, have helped him. And, uh, and as you say, he tries to get photos or sound recordings of virtually everything. So, you know, his, his record really can't be impugned because right. it's backed up either by photos or by sound recordings or by observers that have those or were with him or more often all of those things working in concert at once. Right. Whereas this other person does not have virtually any of that. Right. And also claimed a whole bunch of birds that are basically island endemics that no one has ever seen because you can't get to those islands. They're off limits or there are birds that actually have basically, you know, are myths and, and have never been seen by anyone else alive for decades. So, and the other thing that was suspicious too, is it's sort of like if you see somebody doing a big year and as they're closing out the big year, let's say, you know, let's say they're doing a big year in North America, right? In the ABA area. Stealth big year. Yeah. Well, well let's say they're, they're doing a yeah. public big year, okay. right? And it's a public ABA big year. And all of a sudden, they get 10 species on their last day. Like, that's pretty much impossible, right? Mm-hmm. By the time you reach your last day, if you're lucky, you'll get one or two birds. Like. Yeah. That, that, and that would take a, a good amount of luck to get two. The yeah, odds that, are, you know, you, you might be able to plan it such that you get one, you know, but getting two or more would be unheard of. Right. And the, this, the, the math is that you asymptote. You basically get, you know, m- no matter, you, you got to do a ton of effort to get that one more when you exactly. get to that level, right? And, yeah. and this is a person that claimed like in the last three months to have gotten hundreds of new birds. Yeah. And that was partly how they reached this. So nothing is impossible. And, you know, I, you know, I shouldn't say nothing, but like anything almost is possible. And who knows? Um, you know, I cannot prove that um, this number. Yeah. yeah, I cannot prove that yeah. this didn't happen. But I would say that. And, and he walked it back at least to to sort of not go, not go for the record. Yeah. Yeah. But I think it is distressing in a, you know, with birding, typically there's not 
a lot to gain by lying, uh, and that's we're not saying necessarily that that is what happened here, but like you know, generally in birding, the things that are fun for most of us are either to show and document something that you saw that was really interesting, unique, exciting, or to share that sighting with other people. Right. So most of the time, there's not a lot of motivation to actually, you know, say that you saw something that you didn't. Uh, it's right. pretty rare. It's pretty rare. It's pretty rare. And, and often the circumstances around those situations are odd when they do happen in the, you know, in other parts of birding and you sort of get the stringy situations and you're like, everybody's like, there's just something that doesn't add up because there is a kind of logic as to how it all works within birds, occurrences, timing, seasons. And to me, one of the things that really is like the part that gets me like, that could maybe one day keep me up at night. (laughs) (laughs) If I had this thought, it's credibility and honesty is the backbone of a lot of what we do as sort of yeah. recreational birders. Yes. There's no, and, and even if you get to 10,000 birds, you don't get a trophy. You don't get a right. $5 million prize. You don't get. Yeah. This isn't the PGA. Get, yeah. Right. You get, you get total, like a check box next to your name that says, wow, credible, awesome. Everybody gets how difficult this was what you did and you did it you know what you know so people have this sort of community-wide um cheer for somebody who does something and you might be totally against you know doing this kind of thing but everybody's kind of like i think most people are like wow that that took a lot of time and effort and yeah, I mean, you for know, Peter, it took a lifetime, basically, right? Lifetime. Like, you know, like yeah. he's been he's been he's been plotting this along for a long, long time, and uh, yeah, and we and we, everyone's been kind of watching the journey. And don't you think, like, even even if you were you had a solid solid list, and you were really building up to get to ten thousand birds, and you were on a on a really fast fast go. It would be odd, like let's to to suddenly like try to one up the person who's been trying to do this for like decades and decades and decades. I mean, I would see that some others might say, "You know what? I want Peter to have this. I'll reach ten thousand birds later. Maybe I'll reach ten thousand five hundred at some point because I'm younger or whatever." But you know, that almost makes more sense in our birding world because the competition to be the first at that level doesn't get you anything. In fact, it, it, it's worse. Like it makes it's the you opposite. Look, it's yeah. the opposite, right? Yeah. If, if you were that person almost at 10,000, you would have said, Hey, Peter, go get your 10,000. Cause I want to, I want to be there too, but I know that you've been doing this for a lot longer than I have. And yeah. It's like, I mean, don't I don't know. Maybe that's just too pie in the sky kind of. I, I, no, I tend work to agree. That way, but you know, yeah, I I tend to agree. I think uh, it, it comes up a lot in with non-birders, right? People are like, "Well, why don't they just lie?" You know, right. and say they saw the thing. And I'm like, "But like, what do they win?" And and that's sort of what you were driving at there is like, and the problem is is that as birders. 
And I, I actually, I wrote an article for the ABA, the American Birding Association blog years ago called On Stringing. And uh, it's, it's a, it's a piece that might be uh, <laughs> well, worth reading. In, I'm in, sure that uh, you have a lot of experience with that. Yourself, <laughs> so you would be able to take <laughs> Well, thank you personal. very much. Thanks. Yeah. yeah that's, yeah. that's extremely flattering. I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, and stringing for, for those who may not know, it's, it's the idea is that you, you Stringing know, you along. Yeah, they, they, somebody that strings along a bird, right? So it's like you don't necessarily – you're not outright lying usually, but you're usually like, hey, I saw in my yard a um, – I, 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 you know, fa- I saw – Yeah, I saw, I saw a hawk go by poorly. You know what? It kind of looked like a goshawk. You know what? It yeah, was a goshawk. Yeah, you yeah, know what? I'm yeah. certain that was a goshawk. That was a yeah. goshawk, everybody. Yeah. I saw a goshawk in my yard. And that's kind of, you know, it's just sort of like a snowball rolling down a hill. Yeah, just and and all of a sudden replace, it's... Replace uh, my yard with India. And, and yeah. we're... You know, there you go. See? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's sort of like a balloon that got away from a child. Like, you know, it's just, it's like, it, yeah. it, it's, you know, it's it gets out of control quickly. But, you know, I, I think, uh, yeah, it's and that's the idea i think is that with typically there there's just not that much to gain it's a shared right. experience and you know the other thing is and this is what i was trying to say was that birders we really thrive on and enjoy identification and recognizing patterns and so if somebody that you know shows up on the scene all of a sudden and is making claims that are completely new the first reaction typically is to believe them and be fascinated mm-hmm. and then after a little bit of time the next bit is to be like well wait is this really happening and then usually over time that pattern repeats itself enough that people really start to question what is being reported by a particular observer. So at any rate, I don't want to harp too negatively on um, human behavior when it comes to quote stringing, but this is a thing. It happens. And, um, and it happens in pretty much every birding community. Everyone will know who this is, you know, and, or, you know, who, who these people are generally. And, um, it makes the job of eBird reviewers difficult. Let's let's say that. One general thing about stringing, and one specific thing about Peter Kastner too. Um, stringing, I think the people who who are the stringers, they seem to not last a long time in the community. Yeah. Like there's this new person comes in, weird sightings, and either they rectify the whole thing, and they actually are like suddenly like a. Some, something happens and, and and everything's legit. There's sort of yeah. a point in time where it's like that person, and often that's age, like some young yes. kid who's a little crazy. Or just experience, and, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and experience. And then um, the 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 other thing is, yeah, so they, they don't last long or they just get, you know. They move on to they, something else. They move yeah, on they to get, something else, yeah. you know. It's like, it's yeah. like, I'm interested in that aspect of stringing too. Like, you know, you don't get lifetime stringers. Very rare in the community. And but, part of it is like right, like it's sort of like your your, oh. your virginity. You only lose it once when it comes to your reputation. Like you, you, you know, you have to, um, mm-hmm. you know, it, you know. Speaking if, if as you, a guy who's a soiled reputation, is that right, uh, George? <laughs> <laughs> 
um, yeah, exactly, precisely. Yes, that's yeah. Right. yeah, but you know, basically, you you know, people birders are good at identifying patterns, and if you are putting up a pattern that is odd, says yes, says I'm someone who's good at doc is at not documenting vagrants that I see and no one else sees. Birders notice that, you know, right. The other thing specifically about Peter is he's a trained diplomat. You know, that's true. Right? That's a very good point. In, in the, actually, the yeah. hard in in the period of time in in U.S. government where diplomacy was, you know, just sort of the creme de la creme of diplomats, and he has taken and gone through this whole thing almost like with grace and politeness. Where I, I mean, I'm sure that the the home video, if it ever comes out, it's probably him, you know, like just mad and going, "What the hell's going on here?" You know, you yeah. cannot be working for something for decades, yeah, have it essentially almost pulled out from under you, and then have there was all these definitely a whiskey on. tango foxtrot moment there. There must you know? have been, yeah, <laughs> yeah, and uh, and I just sort of feel like. Uh, that's been an interesting thing to watch too publicly that the reaction was so measured, um, measured, magnanimous, open to the fact that, that, that maybe this had happened. And, and, uh, and I was just like, you know, that, that's, that takes, uh, that wouldn't have been me. I'm pretty, I'm pretty low key on most things, but I would have been like, what the hell, man? Like, you know. Yeah. What the deuce is this nonsense? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. And we weren't going to talk about this topic. Here we are. No, it's too juicy. It's too juicy to leave alone. Can't leave it. Yeah. I know. There's probably more, more to, uh, to talk about on this. And, uh, yeah. And it, it made TikTok. uh, I saw there was a TikTok of a non birding uh, person who was, just said, hey, look, you know, this crazy stuff's happening happening in the bird watching world. It was really well researched about all the timelines of what happened and laid it out for people. Oh, we gotta and get I that in the like, show notes. I want to see this. I, I yeah, I, I was like, wow, you know, um that that's pretty that's pretty cool. Um then shifting just completely on something that just happened today that's I think it was kind of cool about our community and, you know, birders and whatever. It's like yesterday I got an email from Brian Ratcliffe, who's this guy that when I was a teenager, you know, him and uh, he was one of the drivers and Hugh Curry, one of the other local birders in Toronto, took, took myself and my friend Carl, who we were both 14, to Texas our first birding trip ever. I and remember he said, hearing about this trip. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he, he wrote me and said, Hey, it's, you know, Brian, you, you might remember me from like when you were a kid, you know, it's like, how am I not going to remember you? Like, it was like a, it was a magical an, trip. An epiphany you know? of a trip. Yeah. Right. Like open up my eyes to, to the whole, whole deal. And, uh, he was going by, um, Half Moon Bay, you know, with, with his, with his wife. So we just had coffee for like 30 minutes chatted about all sorts of things and it was to me a fantastic kind of like we have seen each other a couple of times after you know i'm i'm no longer 14 years old everybody in in those intervening years but that birding and connection through 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 birding events can be so so um strong powerful 
Yeah. That that decades later this person can come out of the blue and said say hi and you're like of course I'm going to go get to you know get together it was too bad it wasn't longer you know what I mean. Yeah. It's a it's like a cool thing we have in birding. We just That's true. Relationships yeah. that are sometimes really tight and other times kind of loose but they come together every every so often people you might not see for years you know yeah i can and think then, of people like that as yeah, well who, yeah. where i had um just like cool birding experiences with that like we have not been in touch with since i you know but if i was to see them today we would we would pick up the conversation as though right almost in no time had passed it's yeah. like that's Greg Neese has that great piece also on the American Birding Association blog from back in the day. It says, it was like, he called it the secret handshake, you know, <laughs> and, it, and it, it was like, it's like, you're a birder. Okay, cool. We're, you know, we, we move forward. It's like, it, there, there is that, you know, it's a real, it's a real thing. Um, but yeah, yeah, I think it's true. It's, it, it transcends time. Um, you know, it there, transcends there, time. There, and, yeah. and we, you know, you also have, um, there's so many people that I know we've met a couple of times or maybe we've been at ABA convention or something back in the day and we had a good time. We had beers, talk birds, and then we've connected later on Facebook and you are, you're really good friends in an odd way, even though you've only spent like, a f- you add up the hours, you know, that you right. actually had live with each other. It's not yeah. huge, right? but you know, it's uh, it birding. I don't know if it happens in other things. You know, like it's got to be unusual at the very least in in this. It, you know, in our pastime, it's got to it's got to be unusual. I do feel like, yeah, you know, like I think I've often talked about the, you know, um, doing the sea watch in um, with Brian Sullivan. Um, you know, over in uh, uh, you know over on your side of the on the Pacific there. And I'm, and like hopping in the car with two guys I had never met before. They were like, we're going to look for California condors. And Brian was like, I got to go home to work. And I was like, yeah, but I want to look for condors. And, you know, we only had one vehicle between us. And so I hopped in the car with these guys, spent all day birding with them. I'd never met them before, you know, like for all I know, you know, they could have been ax murderers, but you know, they weren't, I knew they were ax murderers, you know, and we, we like, you know, and we connect every now and then via social media, but just because of that one day. Yeah. Know? And that was, what, eight years ago, more? Um, right. And there's, I feel like there's a million of those stories, those burgers that we have. And to take it back to my, my teenager experience, you know, going to Texas, can you imagine today, in today's world, parents allowing 14-year-old kids to go with basically random strangers to go two-week birding <laughs> trip? crossing a, an international boundary and oh my god you know i mean and and uh brian was telling me that he said do you remember that we got to the border and uh and the the border people phoned your parents just to make sure everything was legit because <laughs> they were like what do you guys you know none of your passports have the same last name what's going on here you know like uh, to you know so uh this reminds me of my my first like I, you know i i only ever really dabbled in what one might call science. I was always more of a, you know, a birder tour leader kind of tried to, tried to fill the, uh, the niche between science and the layperson. Um, and, but 
I, I did an expedition once to the Gulf Coast uh, from, from Philly. We drove. This is back in the 90s. And there, you know, I was working for uh, some people at the time. And they put us in their own personal car that had uh, five shotguns and three tanks of liquid nitrogen. And we were 18 years old. And they basically had a note that said, you know, if you get into trouble, you know, so show this to somebody. And it was like, please extend these gentlemen any courtesy that you may. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, think, you know, think, thinking about it uh, today, it seems crazy. But at the time, you know, we were, we were, we were working and that was what we were doing. And it just seems, you know, absurdly know. crazy now, but crazy. It's, it's where Speaking, we are. Uh, you know, last, uh, you know, we, we, we got, we can do this 20 minutes. Uh, we'll, we'll pick the juicy ones. But the AOS, the North American Classification Committee, recently put out – see how it works? It's like once a year, the Classification Committee votes on and publishes a new set of, of birds lists that, um, that you know, what they are going to split and what they're going to lump, right? And um, they first – publish the proposals and the proposals have all of this detail to show the public exactly what they're voting on. So you get to see what the committee is voting on the topics and also that detailed uh, analysis. But what you don't get to see is the votes themselves, right? So the voting is done in private. So we know what passes and what fails in the end, but we're at this moment where we have two sets of proposals that are out and are going to be voted on and it's the great time to sort of look at them and go, huh, what do you think? You know, how's this one going to go? And that's a surprise kind of thing. So we have two sets of proposals. And, um, I mean, I found some things that, um, to me were surprising. Like I was taken uh, kind of left field by the fact that the the idea that we're going to take um, brown booby and separate the Brewsters group, the white uh, headed um, brown boobies from you know kind of Mexico. Yeah, I like that. that. I like this. I, I like it. Right. Yeah. But I didn't see this coming. I had no yeah. idea this was this was even on the. I mean, yeah, I, I, I've I, kind I, of. I, I saw that one. I was like, "That's overdue." I like, overdue, I'm, right? Yeah, I and like that. there's there's all sorts of good data associated with it. Not just the way they look, but some you know genetic work and other stuff. Yeah, there's some there's some here I don't like for only personal opinionated reasons. But that one, I was like, "Yes, yes, do that." Yeah, yeah. and also everybody likes the uh, splits and lumps. Well, the splits more than the lumps for the birders, but a lot of these things too are rearranging birds. You know, like. Um, you know, what order is this going to happen in or the herons who's related to the herons kind of was what I spent some time looking you at know. as well. Yeah. And, and I think, um, I got to say that if, if you're, if you're keen on understanding bird, um, the evolution of birds, these are some of the most interesting more so than the splits and lumps, but they don't get the interest from the bird people because, you know, you don't get an, another check on your, on your list. But it sometimes goes through and and sorts out um, who's related to what. Like, what was was? Did you kind of go through the herons one and and have any thoughts that kind of made you 
um, that were surprising to you? Or like, I know, for example, some things are, um, the, you know, the new, new information basically is that there was a big DNA, uh, bit of work done in, in 2023. So they sampled a lot of stuff and then they made this tree. And there are some things that I, I found surprising, like the boat build heron, which I always kind of feel is kind of night heron ish thing. Yeah. Absolutely nothing to do with night herons. Like right. it's on its own. Yeah. And did you, I don't know if you saw that. I, I did see that. And I thought that was fascinating because I had the same exact take. Like in my mind, that's like a, you know, probably outside the night herons, but close relative. Um, right. But not the case. Apparently. No. Yeah. And same thing with agami heron. Agami heron's like a weird, beautiful heron, but there's some element of it that you're like, you know, that's probably related kind of to a tricolor heron. Nothing to do with a tricolor heron. Totally on its own. Like, that part, I that part, I was less surprised by. I, less I, surprised. Me, yeah, I, I was. I thought I was like that makes sense to me. It's 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 its own thing. Um, made more sense to me. But and but again, um, I'm just I'm going on gut. This is no science behind it. Purely well, like visceral reaction. I know, part. but yeah, but yeah. but we react. But that's part of the fun. I feel like it's right? like being yeah. a sports fan. You know, it's like yeah, yeah. You know, there's stuff that you're you just um, you know you look through the main set of herons and egrets and there are some that are white and some that are not white and being white, it, it means nothing almost, you know, and, 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 and you could sort of say, Oh, well that, that makes sense. Cause some, some of these species have a dark morph and a white morph. So it's obvious that this white thing kind of comes and goes. Uh, but there, there was an odd one that I think you were kind of troubled by. And that was, um, cattle egret, which yeah. cattle egret's always been in its own genus. And this suggests it's really just part of the Ardia group. And I think um, it was even in Ardeola at one point, I believe, right? Uh, so it's been, it's been, it's, it's never been an Ardia. In, in my living mind, it's never been an Ardia, uh, which right. is like, you know, the for those who don't know, the big herons, great, great blue heron, um, now great, great egret. egret, yeah, which yeah. used to be Casmerodius, but or you know, gray heron. Um, in a yeah, like it's never been in or that medium group. medium egret. Now it's called yes, medium, yeah, medium egret. Yeah, yeah. Um, right, purple heron. That yes. So it's yeah. it's it's in that group, um, and well, they it's say not it is, related but... to the true egrets, like you know, tricolored little blue heron, snowy egret, little egret, which are sort of the uh, what I kind of think of as a classically true egret side, not at all, completely Although, different deal. You're probably yeah. confusing people a little bit because the term you're using tricolored heron in the egrets, and of course, egret and heron to me are sort of like pigeon and dove or frog yeah. and toad. Yeah, they yeah. they really don't have any taxonomic meaning, which leads me to one point within this heron's bit that bothered me a little bit, which was the removal of the hyphen is being suggested from night heron. They want to remove right. and make night heron two words rather than one hyphenated word. And I just don't see the value in that. Um, but yeah. yeah. So this is one of these things where, you know, you've, you've heard me harp about the, 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 the idea that we have English names being worked on by scientists and some scientists will have these wonderful, sometimes, um, coded information within 
within some structure that only they know about, you know, like, and everybody else is not in on the, not in on it, even though it's been written out there and it's been, you know, it, it's in the public eye. It just doesn't infiltrate into the regular person's, you know, thought process. But night heron, if you have a hyphen between night heron, it means that's a natural group, like a, a, all the birds that have that name are supposed to be in the same clade. They're, they're supposed to be all more closely related to each other than they are to anything that would be a knight without hyphen heron. Right. So when you find things that are that are not quite each other's relatives, and the, and people do a phylogeny, and you know suddenly you're like, oh, these things, even though they look alike, they're not really quite each other's relatives. We need to do, we need to get rid of that hyphen. You know, obviously. Yeah. Well, then maybe they should also separate the words knight and hawk because, right. as you know, as, yeah. as yeah. I mean, it, it, it's not like the English English names have any real taxonomic meaning, right? Right. Like they're handles, they're useful right. handles. So the idea that like they're supposed to convey anything useful from a taxonomic standpoint, I find and, a little frustrating. But and exactly, and and the fact that there's taxonomic meaning that's that's almost like. Unless you have the golden rule and you, somebody's taught it to you, you have no idea that it's there. And then that the name will have to change if, if there's a taxonomic um, change that's not a split or a lump means like we've over-engineered this, <laughs> like totally over-engineered, you know, like it, it doesn't make sense. Like you just call it night heron. No, just it's a heron of the night. <laughs> and it doesn't mean that they're all close to each other. Heron of the night sounds a little dicey, but yeah. I know heron of the night. You know, yeah, it's, yeah. Like a, it's just a. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, you know the the herons one though. There's a couple things that irritated me. One one was that, and some other things that I just found interesting. One the other is that, and and again, no science behind this. Just all personal preference. I really want great white heron to be split. I I I want what Macaulay right. Um, I think there's or no two. occidentalis occidentalis. Right. Um, I want that in the to old be, world. Right. Yeah, sorry. No, no. The, the key West. Oh, the, oh, the Caribbean. oh, sorry. I'm thinking yeah. of great white egret, egret. The, the great yeah. egret. Yeah. 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 But there was yeah. no yeah. mention of that whatsoever. So I don't know if they didn't look at it or if just everyone's yeah. decided it really is just a morph, but I think it's very odd because the morph is pretty, yeah. um, segregated that's, to one region. Yeah. That's, but, that's a separate, publication and it was it was it was declined like it didn't didn't yeah. happen like a few years ago um, i know i just don't I, want it to happen i know so cool. it, i think it makes a lot of sense it, it doesn't seem to um gotcha there's a bunch of things here a lot of seabird stuff um a lot of seabird stuff a lot yeah. of seabird stuff jamaican petrel which i which is considered extinct or p- potentially extinct from jamaica that i no had no idea that it was it. No one's documented since the 1800s. So. Right. So, except maybe one guy that's challenging Peter Kastner. I'm not sure. Yeah. yeah you never know. Um, yeah. So, Jamaican petrel, I had no idea that they're still considering it a subspecies of black cat petrel, which to me, it's like, wow, that boy, that, that makes no sense. It doesn't look like one, different size, and actually, aren't most of them dark? You know, all, all dark. Uh, I think all Jamaican. all Jamaican petrel specimens, I think, are like you know very very dark birds. Okay, dark so birds. not yeah. white bellied. Okay, I I yeah. wondered if they were. I don't know how many specimens there are, but that's my recollection. But they're also different size too, if I remember right. Smaller um, than black cat petrels is my recollection. There uh, there are some things that 
some people that traveled around, you know, here and there, they're like, oh, yeah, that should have been a long time ago. Um, the Ridgeway's Roughwing Swallow from from the Petén region, you know, in, in, in Mexico, Belize, and so forth, to be separated from northern Roughwing Swallow, totally different. I mean, as far as swallows goes, it's, it's a pretty t- different deal, I think, you know, and different vocalizations and so forth. But um, so that's going to be interesting if that happens. The sharpshin um, hawks, I thought was cool. The the yeah. uh, the, uh, the uh, splitting that Puerto Rican and uh, sharpshin hawk, I think, would be very good, very good. Well, yeah, all the all the Caribbean ones, Caribbean ones, and I think yeah. this is step one into a multi multi. Uh, deal right because right. eventually the uh, plain-breasted, white-breasted, yeah, um, in all South, the America South American and, ones, yeah, all of that would make sense, I think, to most people. To most people, and now there's really solid DNA evidence to show that, oh yeah, like these things are quite different. Um, they've been separated for a long time. To say, you know, to put it another way, total surprise out of the blue because for me i've always thought maybe i should try to put the info together on this one day again because it's gone through the committee before but it's herringle to mm-hmm. yeah to uh, split herringle into three species in this case herring european or north american gull whatever you call it smithsonianus herringle the true herringle in europe and then Vega gull in Asia. I and, think um, I know the perfect name for the North American one. Um, just seagull. Seagull. S e a seagull. <laughs> seagull. Yeah. yeah. Boom. But, you done. know that would that be good? Yeah. I would not be against that. You know, <laughs> Alvaro, I am expecting you to write the uh, and you know I will go to bat with you on this. To, to write the proposal, the English yeah. name proposal for this one. Yeah. I'm God, not, it would be so awesome. I, this I, is another former get, article of mine that I wrote. Right. Give the people what they want. Seagull. Yeah. You know, it's Seagull. high time. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm getting the sense if I wrote something up for the uh, committee, they might just put it right in the uh, round file immediately when they see my name. But uh, I don't know. <laughs> You're increasingly don't. popular there. From oh, my gather. God. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, just, just shut up. I should just never talk about this stuff again. Um, one that is absolutely interesting to me, and and you know, there's I did this solo podcast about super genes, and maybe if it ever airs, um, and you you know, kind of don't get bored through it. But the red poles, the red oh, yes. poles, are a whole super gene deal going on. So. I they, am looking forward to listening to that podcast. Yeah, because uh, I've heard I've I've heard you talk about it a little bit before. I thought it was fascinating. But what what has been the crux of the problem with red poles is that they they actually exist as entities, right? So people go like, "Well, this thing is common red pole, and this thing's hoary red pole. They look different. Their their distribution's different. You know, blah blah blah." Yet you start looking at their songs, their call notes. And eventually, some of the DNA, and it's like they're kind of not different at all. So, it's how do a big, we get? Big mix. Yeah, how do we get a big mix? And then yet, yet two These things distinct exist: distinct phenotypes that are right. completely, yeah, distinct. Yeah, in appearance and it's, at least. It's it's this super gene deal where essentially you have a series of um, a bit of the g- genome that gets passed on as a unit. You know, I won't get too 
too much into it because it's going to be in the other podcast. And then you can have the distribution of, you know, sort of which um, genotype you have based, you know, uh, if you're in the South versus the North, so much so that you can have differences in what you look like, what your size is, what your bill size is, depending on what form of the super gene you have, yet you are in a mixed population sharing all of the rest of the genes, and therefore there's no genetic break anywhere. And you're like, oh, that's like adds a whole different deal into how to understand morphology and genetics, which is like blown me away, uh, tell you the truth. So I think the red poles now have been solved Can- and they will be lumped. Are there other examples of this super gene within birds that you can? Yeah, roughs. That's that that uh, they, there's some other ones coming. They, they're brand new, so people are sort of starting to look at them. And and um, there are other things in other plants, plants and other other deals where they you can get the super gene um, phenomenon happening. And I gotta uh, say, rough I think is one of the more fascinating species of birds in the world. Yeah. Yeah, like there is so much texture there. Yeah, and uh, it, it, I, I think this one is gonna hurt, um, in some ways because in the north, in the far north, in winter, you have very few species to look at, and now you'll have one less. <laughs> you know, it's like if you're <laughs> if you're up in you know northern Manitoba, and uh, you're like, oh yeah, here we go, common red bull, hoary red bull, coming our way. Now it's just gonna be a red bull. Well, or even worse for those of us living in the mid-Atlantic or even just sort of the middle middle uh, latitudes of the of North America. It's like you you sort through – you, you get a big flight year of red poles and you're trying to sort through. You find a hoary red pole it's going to be meaningless at this point. So. Yeah. No, it's, it's, um, it's, it's, it's going to be, yeah, a, a shift. But I do think this one's going to go through almost like – Without a doubt. Um, you mentioned the seabirds. That I have to say, as somebody who spends a lot of time seabirding off the Atlantic coast of the United States, I looked at the potential separation of Boyd's shearwater with interest, as well as the split of Corey's shearwater um, into a couple different species, you know, two that we've been looking at for uh, some time. But still, uh, that is going to make field separation difficult uh, mm-hmm. it's gonna it will be it will pose challenges for those of us uh yeah. offshore right i know it's uh yet yet i think some of the europeans have figured they they're pretty identifiable the the quarries and um but i don't know i don't know how reliable i i think they are a good percentage of the time especially if you get photographs but right Sans photographs could be challenging. Yeah. And then Boyd's, I guess, you know, you could pretend you're like a 1940s guy, you know, going and just looking at Boyd's, you know, (laughs) and uh, (laughs) always, I don't know, Boyd's, it makes me laugh. Um, There are some more esoteric things um, out there, you know, a revision of, of, um, the plovers, plovers, as some people call them. There you Separation go. of squirrel cuckoo. That's you know sort of south of south of us, and um, the move of 
evening grosbeak and hooded grosbeak out of the genus that the hawfinch is in into it, their own uh, genus separate from hawfinch. Uh, so some of those things are like, oh, one that I thought was a little weird, um, the split of red-shouldered hawk into sort of the eastern eastern and um, Florida one versus the California western one. one. Yeah. Yeah. Which very I mean distinct in plumage. Uh although I don't I don't know where the Florida ones and the Eastern ones where those would segregate exactly. It, but, there's a big uh, gap. There's sort of a, yeah. a red shoulder free zone between the two. So that's right. Two groups. That's right. Yeah. So that that's I mean they all each of them look very different from one another and they are segregated by range. So um but yeah, that is that still surprising to me, nonetheless. Yeah, and it'll only be two, right? The Florida and the Eastern will be the same thing, same okay. species, and then the Western one. All right, I didn't. Um, look, I didn't look at that one. I saw that it existed, but I didn't look at it. And in any one thing detail. too is like the when you look at these proposals, some of them they're this like you know really complex, well written proposals showing you all the stuff that's going on, and then at the end they say we pr- we propose not to split. You know, so. Right. Uh, just because there's a, a proposal here doesn't mean that that um, the writer of the proposal says you, you know this is a good split. One one that's happening like that is green wing teal, common teal, where they suggest there should be no split. That it's um, it there real differences. There's right. it's, it's raised, but the idea is to keep them still yeah. as one. And and this is in the spirit of like we've actually looked at this, we've dealt with this. And here's our, you know, the committee decides, you know, that we're going to keep them as all one species, for example. Sometimes the committee could go against that and they go, oh, this, no, this is fine. You know, like let's, you know, they can go against the, what. Right. They got to make a decision either way. Yeah. Right. So, um, and the, the red shouldered hawk, I've, um, I, I'm not. I'm actually. I'll, I'll be surprised if they split those, but we'll yeah, say, I guess. Yeah, and to me, I mean, they, they they show some difference in vocalizations as to like the the elegance of Western one, maybe calling more. The calls come in more quickly in in the series, you know, sort of not so drawn out. But I'm like, that's pretty binder level stuff, you know, and uh, yeah. I, you know, so. And the plumage differences could be pretty much chalked up to environmental stuff. Yeah. Right. Right. I so I maybe I have to read this in more detail. And there's like some underlying true like wow, you know, this is this is worth thinking about. But I'm I'm never impressed when I go to the east and I sort of reacquaint myself with eastern red-shouldered hawks that they're that different from the western ones. Other than yeah, they're they're not as colorful as the the California ones. But um but you know the in the plover zoo, maybe maybe will that be the last one we kind of chat about. It, one of the neat things is that all the colored plovers that we have here are not each other's closest relatives, which I thought was cool. So the ringed semi-palmated group, you know, that includes will include like um piping um, for example, is going to be the that group that retains the name Caradrius or Charadrius, as some people. Yet, so so what are some of the other snowy, examples? Okay. Snowy is 
in a different genus. Snowy, okay. collared plover, Wilson's. Kentish. Um, Kentish. Different, different part of the tree. So the fact that they all have this little collar deal, um, not that important. Um, and, and, the, and it's uh, sort of, a, I thought, pretty interesting. And also some things that were um, treated as part of that greater Caradrius for a moment uh, are now going to be re-given their own genera or genera like um, rufous-chested dotterel down south, which is a really funky-looking, cool shorebird. Um, Beautiful bird. It, yeah, you know it. It uh, it gets uh, its own genus, for huh. example. You know, what about tawny? Well, tawny throated dotterel's already its own genus. Yeah, 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 that one. That one's got its. But it was lumped for a few years with uh, Caradrius, the um, the um, what you might call it, um, Rufus chested dotterel. What and, about uh, mountain so, plover? Where does that fall in this group? Because that is a dotterel, right? I mean, it looks like a dotterel. I know that's a good question. What's uh, like plain? We've talked about how like that's you know it's a terrible name for that bird, but like plains dotterel or um, at, yeah, yeah. At any rate, it'd be interesting to know that one. Yeah, I think it's closer to the group that includes um, Wilson's Wilson's plover and all that. Sort yeah. of quickly looking here. So yeah, it's um, it's a total revamp, and and the other thing too is that the 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 lapwings, which we have always thought of as like a totally different group, which they are from the rest of the plovers, the vanillas are are as different as other chunks within the group that we've never thought of as that different, you know. So Caradrius is in a totally different clade, as separate from the snowy plover group as they are from from um lapwings if that <laughs> makes sense so snowy plover is more closely related to a lapwing than it is to a uh, killdeer which you know like no no or yeah, even make it more extreme. really killdeer is our lapwing right like in in functionality not in, in functionality in, yeah yeah and so in let's niche. put it this way Snowy plover is more closely related to a lapwing than it is a uh, piping plover. I was going to say, or a you know, semi palmated yeah. plover. Yeah. 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 So just to like give it, like, whoa, you know, <laughs> it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's a little, little, little odd. Um, and the it's sister. Cool. It kind of makes sense when you think about it, right? Like, yeah. this, this, re- this reorganization sounds pretty cool. Yeah. And, and the 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 outlying group, the one, the first line of plovers that's separate from everybody else, pluvialis, like the golden black belly plover, mm-hmm. that that is on its own little branch. You're like, boy, I didn't see that coming. I mean, yeah, I mean, like like you, I would have thought that maybe they were allied a bit with, with the dotterels or like mountain plover, yeah, the yeah. dotterels or something like that, but they're not. So, and. And right, the rearranging and changing of the genera and so on, it's not fun stuff in the same way as the splits and lumps, but it really kind of like drills into how these things separated out and evolved and also what continents are in versus where they're not. You know, um, 
fascinating stuff. Like I, I can look at some of those trees forever and go, Oh, look at that. You know, I can't believe that's there and that's there. You know, obviously sometimes you need to take them with a little bit of a grain of salt. If there's, if there's some uncertainty on, on, on some of the, uh, some of the branches, but, uh, other times it's sort of like, Whoa, (laughs) interesting stuff. Yeah, and if folks want to see this, we'll try to include this in the show notes. But you go to the AOS site. If you want to just Google AOS and then Google 2024 proposals, uh, you ought to find it. Um, I got to say, if we end up with getting Vega gull as a species and seagull somehow comes out of this, that'll be an incredible victory, Alvaro. Right, right. Seagull, give it, let's let's do it. Let's make this happen. And I mean, just... Just to end this whole topic, one of the things that I do fear is that because it's Smithsonianus is named for the Smithsonian Institution because the the specimen that it was used to name this species was in the Smithsonian, so they sort of gave it like that name. Um, Smithsonian goal would just be I don't like it at all because it does not. It does not do anything for me, and um, kudos to the Smithsonian Institution, you know, for being kind of like the the place uh, that a lot of research has been done in the in in the for years. But I would rather have the bird have some name that is a little bit more fun. Yeah, maybe yeah, a little shorter and three letters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Seagull's about the only thing. Because what are you going to call it? It was like, let's call it silver gull. Oh, that's taken. Let's call it gray gull. Oh, that's taken. You know, (laughs) well, how about white bellied gull? Well, they're almost all white bellied. Okay. uh, How about I just think it'd be so great. I mean, as I've long said, like if if you named herring gull the seagull, when people said, hey, there's a seagull in the US, Canada, they would be correct a lot more of the time. And I think, right. that, you know, that would just be a tremendous victory for all of us. Yeah, I think so. I think, yeah. uh, but uh, everybody, you know, maybe give us your votes on what you think will pass, what will not pass, your comments. I, we, if you read these and you're into this, it, like figuring out what's going to happen is almost like trying to figure out, you know, you know, some big court, <laughs> you know, some, some, you know. <laughs> you know, what it really is, is everybody gets to be Nostradamus for a day. You know? Yeah, that's right. That's right. It's <laughs> take your guess at what could pass, what may not pass. What, what What's your, what do you, what do you think? But uh, uh, fascinating stuff. And I guess we might get two more sets of, uh, depending on how many proposals are being written, that could happen before the uh, kind of middle of the summer before the, the, the final voting happens. So we'll see. I don't know if this is it or if there's going to be more. So there you go. Right Done. On. <laughs> right on. Yeah. I mean, this is a juicy one. We could go on. But, uh, but yeah, we at some point, we all have to go. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, well, listen, um, thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks for uh, – for, for the feedback and Alvaro, is there anything you want the good people to know before we scoot here? 
uh, as I said earlier in the other podcasts, it may come in before this one or not. I don't know. Cuba, 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 please check it out. Amazing tour to one of the coolest places on earth, not only for birds, but just people, music, scenery, vibe, uh, and his- just the history of the place and our relationship with Cuba um, is is of interest to a lot of people, I think. And go see that as well as cool birds in a, in a safe, pretty safe country. Go do it. Cuba, check it out. Alvaro's Adventures. Nice. Yep. Check out that, the Trogan there. Boy, that's a beauty as well. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> great. And I would encourage people to check out the hillstarnature.com site. We've got a bunch of new stuff we're rolling out. We have a Spain trip that Josh Koval is leading. I have a Brazil Pantanal trip that uh, will be announcing shortly. And we have a whole bunch of new India stuff we're doing. Just back from India. I have a pod, I think, on some of the areas I looked at. And uh, yeah, encourage people to check that out. Right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll be back again soon. Cheers, Alvaro. Bye-bye. See you later. <laughs>